G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. My name is Bill. Thanks for joining me. In the message we're about to hear, Pastor Jeff speaks about successful living. Not what the world may think is successful or the pressures we put ourselves under to succeed, but what the Bible has to say about it. In particular, the keys to a successful life found in Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 3. This is part of Pastor Jeff's Simple Truth series. The whole series is available on your podcast app or broadcast on this station. Let's join Pastor Jeff now for the message. You know, if there's one thing about Christianity that should stand out above and beyond every other philosophy or world system or worldview, it's that the man or woman you see in the mirror today should be different than the man or the woman you saw five years ago, or from the time that you first came into the kingdom, that you walked across, and now you're with Christ and his spirit is in you, that the man or woman that you're going to see five or 10 years from now is going to be different than the one today. And if it's anything, it's that. The power of inward transformation. So now you have to ask the real question then. If that's true, that's unique to Christianity, that is maybe our strongest position, if not our strongest position, then why is it that we see so little change? That the man or woman in the mirror is not different five or 10 years from now. Now folks, to me, that is the question Because as we defend our faith today, that is the question of an unbelieving world. You talk about inward transformation, why don't I see it? Gandhi even said, I like your Christ, I just don't like your Christian. Now, if we're going to come face to face in the mirror with who we are, we got to take a little journey. I want to do that with two vignettes to start out. Go ahead and turn over in your Bible to Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. And I want you to hold that there. Philippians 3, 12, while you're doing that, I want you to gather in here two quick vignettes to make a comparison. Here's the first. I've got a a pastor friend who was invited recently to visit a halfway house for young people. He said that he was asked to speak for an hour and a half. The addictions in this place are so intense that for most of them, they will spend more time in the halfway house than they've lived up to that time. And then at the end, during the Q&A time, a young man about 14 years old stood up at the back and said this, sir, it is impossible for me to look at a young woman without just one desire in my mind. Can you help me? Can you break me of this? Because my future is destroyed. My mind is possessing me. There is no hope for me. Can you please help me? Now, I want you to remember that little vignette, and let's go to another one. Here's the second one. It involves an internationally known young woman now, Casey Bernal, who died in the Columbine shootings. Two days before she died, she was videoed by her Christian youth group. And here's what she said in front of the camera. And I quote, I just try not to contradict myself. 
I just want to get rid of all the hypocrisy and live for Jesus Christ. Now, two days later at her funeral, or I don't know if it was a few, that probably would have been a few days later than that, but a few days later, she finds herself looking down the barrel of a gun. And the gunman at Columbine asked her a simple question. Are you a follower of Jesus? Had she said no, she probably would have lived. But she decided that she's tired of the hypocrisy. She wants to try not to contradict herself. So with boldness and courage, say what you want to, but with boldness and courage, she said, yes, I am a follower of Jesus. And she paid for that statement with her life. Now, here's what I find interesting. That 14-year-old boy I told you about and this young girl had something in common. They were both raised in Christian homes. Why the difference? Why does one turn out to give her life and the others go down to a destructive, almost debilitating life? What is the difference? On the one hand, people will come and say, well, it's very simple. It's a matter of hearing and doing. James 1.21 talks about that. He says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you. So in other words, just because you come in here every weekend and you hear the word doesn't mean you accept it, nor does it mean that it's planted firmly in you and has a pragmatic working in your everyday life. He says, accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And this is not salvation of the soul. This is to save you from the disasters the world will bring. And then he says in verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. In other words, if you think that you change just by hearing and just by gaining more and more knowledge. He says, you're deceiving yourself. Instead, he says, do what the word says. So on one hand, you could say in simplicity, well, it's very simple. Everybody heard the same message, but some heard while others decided to do. Others heard the truth and they pragmatically applied it to their lives. I just don't think it's that simple. Now, follow me on this other hand. Now, sometimes it's true, agreed. Sometimes it is true. But on the other hand, the answer can be quite complex. Let me illustrate it with a third vignette. I got another pastor friend who lives in Atlanta. About 10 years ago, he was contacted by an Olympic medalist who wanted to come and spend some time. Said, I'm hurting, but I've heard your sermons online. I believe that you can help me. So they had this meeting sat across the table from each other. And this Olympic medalist told him a fascinating story. He said, you know, from the age of 12, I wanted to win a gold medal in the 100 meters. I've been sprinting all my life. And so he said, I've done all the hard work. Seven years I give my life to this whole thing. And he looked at my friend and he said, then here we are at the Olympics. I've won all my heats. I'm at the gate. I'm about to go for the gold. Seven years have long and hard work had passed. And here I am. The marker's about ready to say on your mark, get set and the gun will fire. And just before he gets to the gunfire, a thought enters my mind. I don't know where it came from, but there it just pops in an existence. Something that I had suppressed for ages. And it was this. He said, the thought entered my mind just before the gun went off to run the most important race of my life, to finally cross the threshold. And the thought was this, I wonder if my father is watching. He had an estranged relationship with his dad. There was no love. There was no encouragement. And just when he was about to cross a threshold, just when he was about to make great strides, the memory of a difficult and lost relationship. And my friend said, isn't it amazing? We pastors know this. In every life, there is a pain just beneath the surface of every life, and it raises its ugly head at the brink of success just when you're about to cross the threshold. It's like a ball and chain that keeps pulling you back that won't quite let you succeed because this comes up again. You see, I think you have to wonder about the boy in the first illustration. What were the outside influences brought to bear on his life? Did he have an abusive father, a negligent mother, sexual abuse of some kind in a family member? What was it that led him to where he is and the difference between what he became 
into what God wants us to become. Now listen to this. This is the most important thing I'm going to say. No, it's not, but it's important. <laughs> listen, what Paul is going to tell you in Philippians 3 is it doesn't matter why. It doesn't matter what you started out with and what somebody did to you. What matters is that you understand the key to successful living. To where you wake up every morning, you're being changed inwardly, but also nothing gets you down, man. You just take life as it comes because let's be honest. Let's just say it out loud. Life, what? Is about difficult times. And if you're honest with yourself, stuff happens. Now, you know I wanted to say the other word, <laughs> but I didn't say it. Stuff happens to all of us, and there's nothing you can do about it. And when the Apostle Paul writes this, I'm convinced that he's trying to tell us, here are the keys to successful living. This is the abundant life. No matter what happened in your past, this is where you go from here. And here's the first key. He says, you must train the mind to forget. You've got to train your mind to forget. You're going to have to make some decisions, young people. Maybe that your parents didn't make. Nobody can make these decisions for you. There've got to be some things in your life that you learn to forget. You train your mind to forget what happened. When I was in New Zealand, a sheep farmer took me out in the town of Nelson to his sheep paddocks. He had 12 of them. But there was one paddock that was poisoning his sheep and he couldn't figure out why. If it was the pesticides or what. But it happened to be the sheep's favorite paddock. Man, what a story to life. And then my job was, once we got all the sheep out of the gate, my job was to close the gate. And as I closed that gate, knowing the sheep would never return, I couldn't help but to think of the symbolism of life. Some of you have been in a paddock for so long, you need to get out and close the gate and never go back again. And some of you been wounded somewhere, there's something happening to you in your past, but you keep going back in the gate. You keep forcing, you'll climb the fence if somebody closes it and locks it, you'll jump over. You'll find a way back in. I love the movie Bagger Vance. Most of you are not going to know that movie because it's a golfer's movie, but it's one of my favorite movies. Will Smith plays the caddy. And it's about Captain Juno, who was a great golfer, a great champion until he went away to war. And he led a regiment of men and all of his men were killed except for him. So he has to live with this now. And he feels like he let them down. So now because of a past experience in the movie, he lives a debilitated, dejected, despondent life. And the memories of the past destroy any capacity he has to live, to really live in the future. But Bagger Vance, played by Will Smith, is trying to help him. If you know the movie, he's like an angel. And Bagger says to him, all right, Captain Juna, it's time for you to move on now. Time for you to forget the past. And Captain Juna looks at him and says, in this scene, I can't. You don't understand, Bagger. And Bagger says, oh, I love this. He says, I don't need to understand. Ain't a soul on this entire earth ain't got a burden to carry. He don't understand. You ain't alone in that, but you've been carrying this one long enough. Time to go on now. Lay it down. I always cry. Even though I've seen that movie a hundred times, I cry every time as if I don't know it's coming because I'm, I'm a big softy. <laughs> but you have to understand, you know why a pastor would cry because he sits in his office week after week. And he listens to these stories of the past, of abusive parents, of horrible school years, of demoralizing teachers, of cruel adolescents. 
of horrible family life, of legalistic and hypocritical churches that use people, of disastrous marriages, of controlling or abusive husbands, of unfaithful wives, and a home life that just sucks the life and hope right out of you. And for a lot of people, I sit across the table and I want to say this to them, and I don't mean to be insensitive, but I got to tell you something. For a lot of people, the past, they just won't close the gate and it's like a ball and chain. And every time they're ready to cross the threshold, because they had a bad relationship in the past, they can't have a healthy one now. Because they had a bad experience at their job in the past, they can't have a great occupation now. And it just pulls on them. And every time they're getting ready to cross the threshold and the gun's about to go off, they lose because they allow it to pull them down. Let me say it again. Listen, this is life. Stuff happens. You can't control that. But here's what you can control. You can decide whether or not you're going to allow what's happened in your past to impact you, to change you. You can decide how you're going to let it wrap a harness around you and restrict you. Paul says you must train the mind to forget. Philippians 3.13, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what is ahead. Paul is saying, the sense of forgetting the failures and mistakes, the disasters of your life is going to be central to extraordinary living. You got to get up, get over it and get going. You're not alone in this. Every single one of us in this room has a burden to bear. You've got to train the mind to forget the past and forget past hurts. You've got to do it, man, or it's going to destroy you. You'll never know what it really is to live. Now, here's one other thing I want to say before I move to the second point. There are many issues that can be settled by confrontation, repentance, and forgiveness. But I'm going to say something I don't believe many pastors will tell you, but you got to hear me because if you misunderstand, it's going to be a travesty to the gospel. I'm simply saying this. There are many other issues that cannot be settled by you, and you're just going to need to forget them, move on, leave it in the hands of God. Whether it's reconciliation with a parent, a coworker, a relative, the Bible says in Romans 12, I think the apostle Paul got this. He wanted reconciliation, but he, he learned a lesson. He said, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You can't allow somebody that wounded you to keep on wounding you by refusing to forgive them. You'll stop looking out the window and thinking of ways you're going to hurt them. But what you don't realize is they're still hurting you because they're still taking up valuable time of yours. But there's a different segment to this, and it's this. There's another way to ruin yourself, and it's by, listen now, pursuing reconciliation with an uninterested party. You want to reconcile, your mind is right, but they have no interest. There are some people in the world that just do not want to like you. And no matter what you do, it's not going to make a difference. You know, you just move on, go on, forgive right there and get out, move on. If you don't, you'll find your place yourself in places that you don't want to be. And you'll turn to things that will ultimately destroy you. All right, Jeff, number one, you say, train the mind to forget. How do I do that? Glad you asked. Here's what you do. Number two, you must train the mind to remember. You will train the mind to forget when you train the mind to remember. Remember what? Keep moving forward. Here's what Paul says in Philippians 3. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, he says, I press on toward the mark. Now, if you've been in church any amount of time, you know the word used here. The apostle Paul is talking about pressing toward the finish line, a runner, stretching and straining for the tape, trying to reach the goal. Now, you got to understand, that's why I identify so much with this guy, Paul. Man, he was a real guy. 
He said, you know, funny thing happened to me. I became a believer in Jesus. I wanted to be holy. I wanted to be pure. I wanted to have moral purity. That's the goal. That's the prize. But funny thing happened along the way. My flesh got in the way. And I feel like I'm incarcerated in the flesh. The real me inside wants to do the good, but this flesh wants to do the bad. It's a constant battle. Now, here's what happens to a lot of people. The reason there's no inward transformation or change, you came into your faith with great vigor and vitality and passion to change and to be who God wanted you to be. And then you started trying a few things and you realized, man, this is hard. So now in your mind, it's better not to risk because if you don't risk, you won't fail. You quit. And the apostle Paul had learned that the only sin in this is a failure to keep trying. That's the problem. If you don't live with an attitude of reaching forward, something very, very bad is going to happen to you. You're going to be paralyzed and destined for a life of mediocrity and defeat. Now, I notice that something's happening in me that I don't like. As I get older, I'm less willing to take risks. Isn't it true the older we get, we just stop risking? That's why you're eating at the same restaurants all the time. That's right. Because you don't want to risk. Maybe a bad experience. It's why I take my wife to Hong Kong and we eat at McDonald's. Why? You got, all this, you got all this food, this aroma coming in off the street, but I'm scared. I don't know. It could be bad. I could get food poisoning. So I go to the Golden Arches. And you know why? Because at least there I know it's bad and won't be disappointed. <laughs> you stop risking. Yeah, I may stop risking. I may not fail, but I'll never succeed. I may live a mundane, mediocre life. Yeah, I may stop risking. I may not fail, but I'll never succeed. Ignorance is bliss when you're younger. And there are many of you in the room that you're not going to have, you're not going to take any more risk of a new relationship just because you've had some bad ones. You're not going to risk a new job because you've had a bad one. You're not going to risk any new adventure because you feel that if you don't risk, you can't, you can't fail. But I'll tell you something else. You won't live either. That's why there are Christians in the room right now. They all got all excited. Man, I'm going to study my Bible every morning. And you did that for a while, and then you failed. And now you say, I'm not doing that again because that feels bad. I'm going to start praying every morning, spend time with God in the afternoon. You did that for a while, you stopped, and now you're not going to risk because if you don't risk, you won't fail. You want to be Christ-like. You want to pursue Christ-likeness. You tried it, you failed. And now your whole life is no risk, no risk. I'm not going to risk because if I don't risk, I can't possibly fail. Here's the problem. Your God is too small. Lamentations 3 says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Did you hear that? When you blow it, you are not consumed because God loves you. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Every time you fail, God wakes you up in the morning and forgives you again. The only real sin is you stop trying. You got to keep going after it. It's true in Christian life. It's true in everyday life. You show me a businessman who will not risk and I'll show you a business that never advances. You show me a Christian who won't risk, I'll show you a Christian who never changes. Every year that he looks in the mirror, he's the same. So here's the way I figured. If bad stuff's going to happen anyway, I might as well experience while I'm trying something courageous and bold and life-changing. Risk generosity. Risk serving somewhere. Risk forgiving somebody. Risk do something different. Let God open your eyes to future progress and stop letting the past drag you down. Every time you get to the threshold and defeating you, look, listen to me, let it go for crying out loud. Let it go. Whatever it is, let it go and move forward. And then finally three, not only must you train the mind to forget, train the mind to remember, remember to keep moving forward. You must train the mind to focus. Now, listen, remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how your whole life is God sending waves and all you need to do is ride it. Here comes a wave. Get your board out. 
Get ready to ride. Here's what Paul says. Not that I have already obtained all this. In other words, not that I'm morally perfect or pure. Man, I got problems. Paul's saying I got sin in my life. Nobody likes to hear that about Paul. He's a real guy. He says, or have already been made perfect. Man, I got a long way to go, he says. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. Now think about this for a moment. Press on. It's that Greek word stretching, but it also means that there is a singularity of focus. You're not looking to the right. You're not looking to the left nor behind you. You're focused on one thing. What Paul is saying, I've learned a lesson. If I can just keep my focus on God, no matter what's happening around me, I'll know the grand weaver is at work. Isn't it true that the lives who have made the biggest difference in the world have been those lives who have suffered the most? Malcolm Muggeridge said, now follow me here. Malcolm Muggeridge said, God is like the sun. You can't look at it, but without it, you can't look at anything else. Only God and seeing your entire life in the perspective of God will there be light on your job, on your marriage, on everything. There'll be understanding. There'll be a knowledge of what God is doing all around you. And I think, of, I think every time I see this, I think of Michael Jackson. Now, think what, you can think what you want about Michael Jackson. Whatever you think about Michael, the guy was an unbelievable entertainer. Let me tell you, God gave him a very special gift. And the other day, Robin and I were driving down the road and we were listening to 103.5 and they played Michael Jackson's songs. And I turned it up high and I listened to it. And I said to my wife, I said, man, Robin, how old do you think Michael was? She goes, I think he's 10 or 11 when he did that song. 10 or 11. You heard the voice control this guy had as a 10 or 11-year-old? How do you do that? I mean, the talent God gave him. I remember after basketball games in college, after we'd have a victory, I'd put my headphones on, and there was this thing back then called a cassette player. It was a square box, and you would put it down in there and push forward and rewind, things like that. And I would listen to my favorite songs on the Thriller cassette. You know, here's what I wonder about Michael. Quickly, I wonder if Michael ever stopped to ask the question of origin. Because whatever we think about Michael, we know this. Man, here's a frustrated man. Here's a man trying to find himself, trying to reinvent himself, trying to identify. And I just wonder, I wonder what would have happened if someone came and just loved Michael and said, Michael, let me tell you, stop focusing on the gift and focus on the giver of the gift. Because if you start focusing on the giver of all the gifts in your life, including sometimes pain can be a gift. It can. You don't like to hear that, but it can. If you do that, then you'll learn to see everything that ever happens to you through the cross. Well, what do you mean? See, the cross, I mean, it's, it's so brilliant in the mind of God because it's not only salvation from your sin, not only sanctification to make you holy, but think about the cross. At the cross, everything seems to be defeated. In reality, though, it's the greatest victory of all. Everything seems to be lost, but in reality, everything is gain. It appears to be the end, but it's really the beginning. It appears that God had failed, but it was God's greatest victory. Do you believe me when I tell you that God is the grand weaver of your life and he weaves a cord through your life and his intention is to bring beauty, pattern, and design out of the chaos of your life so that whatever happens, if you've got your focus on God, if you stay there, then you'll be able to forget the past because God's the sovereign of the past. You'll be able to pursue the present and the future because God is sovereign over the future. And God's hand is on your life. There was a lady who was really nervous about flying and she was shaking in the airplane. There was heavy turbulence. Stewardesses noticed, so they went to the pilot. They told the pilot, look, we've got someone that's really disturbed back here. So finally the turbulence softened and he got out of his seat. Co-pilot takes over. He goes back, kneels down beside the lady and he says, are you okay? And she goes, no, I'm, I'm not doing very well. And he says, well, let me tell you something. You see that red light out on that right-hand wing? 
She looked over to the right and saw it. She said, yes. You see that light over on the left-hand wing? She looked over and saw it. She said, yes. She goes, look, as long as we stay between those two lights, we'll be all right. (laughs) As long as you keep your eyes on God, you'll be okay. You'll be all right. Let it go. Today, let it go. Please, for your sake, let it go. Father, we are grateful for the power of your word, your mercy, and your grace. The fact that we wake up every morning and your mercies are new. You forgive us. The fact that you remind us that the real sin in our lives is when we stop trying, when we stop pursuing, when God becomes so small. When you become so small to us, we stop believing that you can give us the power and the courage and the strength and the know-how to overcome, to live above our circumstances, rather allowing our circumstances to crush us under the weight of devastating and unfortunate events. Father, I I pray right now in Jesus' name that we would have a heart and a passion to pursue you and to keep our eyes focused where they need to be on your love, on you as the grand weaver to bring that beauty and design out of the chaos of life. Because we know stuff happens and will continue to happen, but you are sovereign over every event and we are grateful in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.